So let me underscore a point. If you get Medicaid to cover your long-term care costs after the age of 55, it's not actually Medicaid paying for it with a blank check. It's almost like a loan because once you die, they can come back and put a lien against your assets for the amount that they paid. Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior-serving professionals and providers with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit MasteringMedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Welcome back to Mastering Medicare. I am one of your co-hosts, Amy Schiffman, and I'm here with our co-host, Alex Moseni. We are back yet again for our second episode of 2021, and we have an amazing guest today. Amazing. Amazing. So this guest today, Alex, you are going to love, because even though we are mastering Medicare, we are going to talk today about Medicaid, because it's so, why not? I mean, we've been talking about Medicare. Let's talk about Medicaid. They probably kind of cross over at some point. And we have an amazing guest, Robert Bullock who is the founding partner, I'm just going to make this up, of the Elder Law Center in Washington, D.C., who I've known since I started doing house calls. You were always so nice to me, Robert. So nice. Wow. How many so years, nice. How many years ago was that? Okay, let's not age me too much, but probably about 12 years ago. 12, okay. 12, 12 years ago. And you and I had several cases together of patients that I saw and you had either stepped in to help them out or had referred them to me and we worked through them together. They were, you know, people with difficult families that weren't getting along or people who needed to get into the Medicaid system. And this is your expertise. You're kind of like, I'm going to be like obnoxious and call you the godfather of Medicaid as opposed to the grandfather of Medicaid. Was that all right? If I call you the uh, godfather? There there are a few in the metropolitan area who would, would, would claim that title. Okay. Uh, but I'll give it to you today. And I, okay, I, I'll. Will uh, you accept that today? I'll I'll accept it today. And also, what you have touched upon is a nerve because I'm an aficionado of the Godfather movie. Okay. Well, there you go. We're not going to go to the mats then. Okay. Right. We're not going to do that. Okay. But there Alex, are, there are others who do Medicaid uh, planning. There are a few firms in Maryland, but I think in DC, very few. And there are a lot of people in Virginia. Okay. Great. Well, we want to we want to understand sort of the ecosystem in which you work. But Alex, I want to kind of go back to you just really quickly because today is a really special day. We want to hear about something. Tell me yes. about it. We're really excited because today we with this episode we actually have our very first sponsor, and we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, Rise Virtual Medicare Marketing and Sales Summit. Rise is this this. Medicare Marketing and Sales Summit is a three-day live streaming virtual event for professionals in the Medicare Advantage sales, marketing, product design, and member engagement world. And it's taking place in just a few weeks, February 19th, 22nd, and 23rd, 2021, with on-camera networking interviews with small and medium community health plans around the country and those who want to support these plans. Please visit MedicareMarketingSalesSummit.com to learn more. Again, MedicareMarketingSalesSummit.com. And basically, if you're in the Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, or health plan space, you need to attend this conference. Make sure to use promo code POD15. That's P as in Patrick, OD15, to get 15% off. Uh, Again, big thanks to our sponsor, Rise Virtual Medicare Marketing and Sales Summit. Check them out at... MedicareMarketingSalesSummit.com and use promo code POD15. Thank you. 
Thank you, Alex. All right, so let's go straight to our guest. Tell us what Medicaid is. What is Medicaid? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> the uh, Medicaid is is complicated, and there are four or five different programs that are independent of one another and serve different groups. The 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 and it's universally misunderstood. In in uh, because the 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 cornerstone of Medicaid is long term care eligibility, and that is when someone is in a nursing home and is deficient in their activities of daily living and also qualifies economically, and that is Medicaid eligibility in long term care which is a, a separate animal and is heavily regulated and is where most lawyers practice in terms of Medicaid eligibility planning. The second aspect of Medicaid is what's called Medicaid waiver programs. And I never understood that. I always had trouble when I learned this because when I learned it, I discovered this is back in 99, 2000, that I went around to the elder law bar and everybody talked about it, but they were just doing minimal planning, sort of picking low hanging fruit. And they didn't really understand Medicaid. So I went back and I found the people who passed the legislation. I read all the legislative history and I basically had this thirst of knowledge because I had a crazy Jewish mother who told me to excel and to keep going and going and going. OK, <laughs> so the and I, I learned everything I could in terms of legislative history and spoke to them. So Medicaid waiver means that they waive the enforcement of formal rules because Medicaid is a jointly administered program. It's state and federal. And the, the, the feds put up half the money and that world is, is remarkable in terms of understanding. Medicaid has many, many rabbit holes that, you, you, that just specialists in those areas. But in any event, it's a joint program and the waiver programs, the states said when Medi since 65, when it came in, we have a special population we want to serve. And we want you to waive the rules of enforcement because the rules of enforcement on the legislative side were universal application. If you set amounts or set eligibility, it's for everybody. Nobody, there are no exceptions. The waiver allowed the states to come up with programs. And those programs have expanded in DC, by example, to be gigantic and incredibly uh, responsive to the needs of the community. It brings services into the home because the, the goal being with waiver programs to allow people to remain in their environment, but get the services they need. So there are, and forgive me, there are four or five of them, none of which I can recite at this time of day, but for, there's a disability waiver and there's a, there was an Alzheimer's waiver in Virginia for a number of years that I still don't know if they have it. There's special need waivers. There are all types of waiver programs offered in every jurisdiction the eligibility requirements are different than they are for long-term care because it's a waiver program. Let me go back for a second. You are not guaranteed waiver services. You are guaranteed if you're eligible long-term care services in a nursing home. So if you meet the eligibility requirements, bingo, green light, you get paid for eight, 10, 12 grand a month covered. Medicaid waiver is subject to the discretion of the state. By example, in Maryland, the normal line you give to someone is the waiting list can be anywhere from 2,000 to 8,000. 
in DC, it's a robust program, and there's a tremendous amount of services in the home that are provided. And you can you can choose in terms of your services to whether you want to self-direct it. That is, you design your own Medicaid waiver plan, or the DC government designs the plan for you and provides the help. Even to the extent that you can pay the help and get reimbursed, that comes in the the aid and assistance. The third. Wait, can I wait? Can, wait, hold on. Before you go on. Right. Because I'm, I'm the queen of a little bit of interruption here. So I just right. want to make sure I love to repeat back to you what I feel like you just said, because it's, it's can you imagine I've been doing this for however long? You just taught me three things. So I'm going to repeat back to you a little bit of something that I just understood, that the Medicaid program is a combined federal state program, that the rules for Medicaid are, in fact, are in fact pretty universal, but there are these waiver programs within each state. No, that's almost correct. Okay. Each, each state uh, writes, promulgates, that's a, that's a good word, isn't it? Oh, I Prom love the word promulgate. promulgate. That's a big word. Is Alex still with us or did he take a Yes, back? yes. <laughs> okay. I'm so in the... The, 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 uh, I want to tell everybody out there, I'm looking at a screen. This guy's got on a, a yellow shirt. He's very good looking with a deep tan. And Amy and I are as white as poor chicken. lighting. That's all it is. Oh my God! I like. I'm gonna change the lighting. So, yeah. so, I want to be set on Everything about Medicaid, once you get below the surface, is complicated. So the the answer to the, the reason I interrupted you is every state, because it's a federal state partnership, the states make their own okay so the states rules. are making their own rules okay so within this, certain parameters within certain parameters what the feds have said right but then there's the waivers and what you said which i found the most important thing that you said is that the waiver programs in general allow for help to go into the home absolutely so that's the difference is that when you think about the regular Medicaid that you were just talking about, that's to get people into the long-term care programs in nursing homes not to be confused with the same building may also house rehab paid for by Part A after a hospital, but that it's paying for people to literally live room and board in places called nursing homes and Medicaid will pay for it to the tune of eight to $12,000 per month right. of taxpayer dollars. But the waivers are what we call an alternative to that system so that in like, I know the state of Maryland is an example, the community first waiver, it right. allows for aids like private duty aids cnas home health aids whatever you want to call them to then get paid by the state to go in and then take care of people in their homes as an alternative to nursing home care that i think that that does that summarize it and then there's multiple waivers that do similar things for different populations but the idea is don't go into the nursing home we don't want you in the nursing home and, and it's that, cheaper than going into the nursing home right and and what 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 the Medicaid people have to do is evaluate the services you'd be getting at home. And are you familiar with IEPs, individualized education plans? We are, yes. Yeah. Uh, children, I, I have a disabled child, so I went through 21 years of them. The, the, the application process for the waiver in DC, when you're a participant and you want to direct the services is like an IEP. The, the paperwork is dramatic. It's consumed with the paperwork, and one has to know how to navigate the system. It is not for amateurs. It is not for amateurs. And everybody thinks it is because it's, 
it's a government program and we should be able to access it just like we do social security or well, primarily social security so it doesn't work that way this is it's a complex complex right complex there are complex regulations governing everything and it's difficult to navigate it's impossible to navigate without getting some help while i got the floor the third piece of medicaid was the obamacare and that that provided expanded the group of eligible eligible people to provide health insurance for another class of people who could move in and become eligible for Medicaid, and that's Medicaid as in health insurance Medicaid. And every state has different variations. One of the states, I think Kentucky, or they, they, that was a different. That was on the Obamacare thing. They they tried to impose a work requirement to the to the Obamacare type of Medicaid. And they have, I think, I think it was, I just think I read an article that it was successful. So there are three different areas you want to look at when you talk about Medicaid. What, what most of the client community that deals with LLR attorneys is uh, involved with is eligibility for long-term care. That's, that's, I think, the bulk of the work here. About 80% of Medicaid is that, maybe 10 to 15% is, that doesn't add up, but is Medicaid waiver. So, Robert, what are the different ways that a senior can qualify for Medicaid to cover their long-term care? Well, the the, the first the the first piece in the simplest explanation is they have to be medically eligible. It's the guy who who I learned Medicaid from, Sean Majette. Maybe I'll make him listen to this so he'll know I said his name. He's a godfather nut, by the way. When I met him, he's, uh, he had on his belt, I remember this was 2000, three phones, and I made some reference to the godfather, and he pulled up the phone, and he had the whole godfather movie recorded on the phone. <laughs> 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 so the, the, qual the qualification is like a light switch. It's that simple. The first light switch is medical, okay, period. How do you get medical eligibility? You get an evaluation, and there is, uh, uh, I forget the name of the form, it'll come to me in a minute, and you you get a level of care, and that's your first ticket. If you get so, can I pause you there for a second? Is it basically failure to do activities of daily living, or must you have like some severe diagnosis of some sort? No, it's activities. It, it the severe diagnosis helps, but it's a failure to do the activities of daily living, and, okay. and it's, it's uniform assessment instrument. How do you like that? I remember. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and the that whole process, Alex. In terms of we just put a box around getting a level of care, that has been a whole subject of a number of cases. It's changed somewhat. Everything when I came through was new from 2000 to now. So we were sort of the, the breaking edge of, of they were implementing stuff. And, and the, the first breed of LLR attorneys was absorbing it for the first time. So the that that we had someone who was mentally disabled. I was working with a care manager and it didn't quite fit the activities of daily living, but we convinced them that the mental disability was sufficient to get them medically eligible. I think that, well, I don't want to start naming homes and so forth, but so that's the, the, that's the story. And, and if you're really an advocate for the person in the nursing home, what we do is we're on board right from the beginning because you don't get that medical eligibility and you're out the door. And when you're close, 
you want to make sure that you know who's doing it. And the contract agencies change every two years and the system changes every three years. So you have to be on top of it. So okay, just wait, to clarify, oh, okay, before yeah, we go ahead, her, Alex. Yeah, are sorry. we talking about eligibility to get Medicaid period as no, a no. as a or specifically for long term care? Long term care. It okay. has its own set of rules. And the, the, the second piece was the that light switch. The first one was kind of like that. It came right back to it. And remember, <laughs> the, the the first one was medical and the second is financial. And when you get to the heart and soul of the Medicaid politics and issues, you're talking about financial eligibility. Okay, and every state has input into the rules and the rules are complicated and it, it's just planning financially for long-term care, in my view, is as, as similar to tax planning. There are rules where they actually, the theory is that the Medicaid long-term care eligibility financially is, is designed for married couples and the ability to preserve money for the spouse who is not in the facility. Okay, it's mm -hmm. that simple. And, and the, the spouse who is in the facility has to have, for example, in the district, it's $4,000 or less in countable assets. And now I bet you're going to ask you what are countable assets. Yeah. It goes on and on and on in terms of the eligibility. But the concept is that a married couple is the center of the target. And you are allowed under the rules to transfer assets between them and, do, and have other planning tools that allow a couple to qualify for long-term care and preserve assets for the community spouse. That's, that's the heart and soul of, of Medicaid planning. And there are a hundred bells and whistles, and you can call me at any time, but don't call me at night again, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, can but, I ask a quick question? What sure. percentage of people are doing this in advance and what percentage of them are doing them in crisis mode? It, it, it's it's mostly crisis mode. It, it's mostly crisis mode. If 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 you it, it, one of the one of the things that we do uh, part of the firm is what's called life care planning and management, and it's it's not ro rocket science. It's getting one's stuff together. People people you can do Medicaid planning. If you do the planning, and, and I'm going to go on a, 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 a tangent here because we do estate planning, and people are always calling. I have, I have all these intakes. It's going to be a late night tonight. And, and, but they want a power of attorney, an advanced, an advanced medical directive, and a will and a trust. Well, how do you know what you want before you do the planning? Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the steps, and, and it's universal if you look on the, on the, LinkedIn, all these attorneys are doing shows about estate documents and what have you. It's, it's not the right way to do it. Forget about your, your, your estate documents. You're going to do planning and what kind of planning you're going to do, and you're going to do Medicaid planning. And Amy, if you can't do the Medicaid planning because it's just not the right time, you make the document such that someone is authorized to do the Medicaid planning. If you become disabled and can't do it, how do you do that? With a power of attorney or a revocable trust. There are a number of ways you can do the planning later, but put the seeds in place that will give someone the levers to do it when you need to do it.
So just what I'm going to keep interrupting. So if people are doing stuff either in advance, they're doing it while nobody's in a nursing home, like they, they haven't had a hospitalization, they haven't ended up in rehab, and there's not this like panic of how the hell are we going to pay to take care of blah, blah, blah. But you are obviously getting people from the community and you are seeing people who are already in some sort of nursing home facility, probably post hospitalization. Am I right? Right. Okay, yes. and they want to stay there or they want to stay somewhere and have it all paid for. Correct. Yeah. And 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 the the it again there ten Gene Coffee is the head of the uh, Medicaid long-term care policy. He was the first guy that I I learned Medicaid from and he has the ability to take all the complexities of what he does. And he lectured at that DC senior resource group. You remember that? Yeah. He could make take the, the most complex thing and simplify it. I don't know how good I am at that. I guess the people listening will will be the uh, judges of that. But it's 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 complex to understand. And frankly, I got so carried away, I forgot what you would inquire. No, what I said, what I wanted to know was- That was funny, Alex. Uh, no, it's, it's, just, it, it's fine. <laughs> The, the issue I is, forgot too. You forgot. To, okay, great. He, we, he got carried away. So no, right. the question is, people are accessing you from the community. Right. And they right. are accessing your services once right. a in spouse the, or somebody is in like well, crisis think, mode or just out of the hospital. So I'm sort of curious to know the. the I, oh, it's much higher on the crisis. It's much right. higher on the crisis. And they're actually usually sitting in a nursing home getting quote unquote rehab paid for by part A waiting for the 20 you know their 100 days or whatever and I then they kick in to even that one yes the answer to your question is yes, yes. okay that, that that process is is basically a memorized understood process for people for people like us yeah but the when you're dealing with the clients everybody comes in and says you you're gonna we get 100 days of medicare which you don't really get but keep okay. going right well yeah. they don't so so yeah that's where you 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 start and then back it up because they're in the hospital i'll generally well the the the, the unfor unfortunately the 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 journey begins with the hospitalization and you the the real catastrophes are the strokes or the falling which by the way is of epidemic proportion we had a lady uh who came in she was 98 and uh, and i did a consult and then I remembered the falling thing that I wanted. I ran out in the hall and I gave the papers on falling. She was with her kids and uh, we chatted and laughed and so forth. And she fell down the stairs the next day, <sighs> died. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, it was absolutely unbelievable that yeah. So falling, falling or whatever, and they're in, they're in the hospital or you're absolutely correct. They have been discharged to the hospital. And let me let me expand on the expansion. You know what, what happened in our lifetime is the three day rule, right? You know, and and you, you, every single little area, and we could hit fifty in a conversation. I got involved in because I, again we were there at the beginning, so it was all new. The three day rule. How do they how do they count the three days? We've talked about that. It's, yeah, okay. oh, it's, it's right. actually very good. It's well, it's actually very confusing. Yeah, very Whether good. you're counting midnights or what time is it from the time that the order is placed or like, and, and, it, and I've read conflicting information on it. And what they did initially is that the hospitals, the one in town here, would discharge to the nursing home and the person gets to the nursing home and they don't have Medicare coverage. 
So they're going into rehab and and they got nothing. So you want to get them out of rehab, and that's like four million dollars a day out of rehab into long term care as as fast as you can. And Amy, that's when the the Medicaid eligibility will kick in because you're absolutely right that the that first period of time in the nursing home is generally in skilled nursing. Now they've changed all the names of the stuff, but for, for the audience. It's very simple to understand. You go just like you said. You're hospitalized. You go to rehabilitation, a skilled nursing facility. You have a certain amount of time of eligibility, and that's something you should talk to somebody about because no one really understands that. Because you can advocate at that. I and I there are care managers now who who work in this area, huge, large population. But I would attend those meetings where they would determine the days of eligibility. And I won't, and that's a whole nother topic that I can explain. And, and then when they, but they want to get them into a Medicaid bed from that 21 days or 30 days or 15 days. And then you get into the whole world of what's a Medicaid bed. And, and it keeps changing. Some facilities have a dual certified beds, some have single certified beds. That's what we call in Yiddish a Megillah that you got to understand if you're an advocate in the field. Okay, so let me stop you for just one second. So let's go, let's just talk about these facilities for just a second, not by name, but just in general. So you get discharged from the hospital, which is your part A stay, and then you end up, because you've got Medicare, and then you end up now in a rehab facility also. Let me stop you there. Oh, okay. How do you know what rehab facility you're going to? Because they ran, they they roll the dice, (laughs) and then they... Then they put something into a computer, and then the rehab facilities go, ooh, me, 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 I've got a male bed, I've got a female bed, exactly. and then everyone fights for this for some reason, unless they've got COVID, I guess, maybe then they go, no, we don't have anything. But, like, I guess they they basically then say, okay, yeah, we've got a bed, but then sometimes if you know that you might be going to pursue Medicaid because maybe you've been in the hospital for a while and you're sort of like, uh-oh, now's the time to do my Medicaid planning. You are looking for a facility that may also have Medicaid beds and not every facility has Medicaid beds. Uh, almost that that world, there was one that had no, for in my formative years, had no coverage. They didn't take Medicaid back in the uh, okay. thousands. But oh. no. But every, they all take Medicaid. Oh, every, yeah, yeah. Every, I didn't realize that. I thought some were just like, no, we just do rehab. I'm good. Like, I'll just take my party dollars and my 600 bucks a day. And no, so that's I, it. I think the thing that, and, and that's the problem of how deep you go into it is every aspect of what you just talked about requires advocacy. And that's a, a, a different route. But ju- when, when I asked you, where do they go? Well, how do they determine that? Like, you, you're absolutely right. There's a universal program that that has an acronym, but a facility raises their hand and says, we'll take them. What are they looking for? <laughs> Money. The, exactly, the maximum. So they're looking at the disability and the discharge papers, and they want the maximum. Maximum of, per diem uh, that they can get. Exactly. They're like, oh, we want the sickest of the sick as opposed to like the post-hip no, fracture, which just needs PT for like, 14 days or whatever, whatever it is. Okay, so what you're saying is that people are coming out of the hospital, they're, you know, we're dice rolling it with the regular, the random acronym computer program, and everyone raises their hand, and then you win, and you get to go to this and that, you know, rehab A, and then suddenly they're like, oh my God, we're not gonna be able to bring dad home, or we're not gonna be able to bring my husband home. So now they go looking for you. So the question would be is, 
is there somebody in that facility that that's like the like elder law whispers like you need help like what's <laughs> happening there like what's <laughs> yeah and i want to add on to that if you're 75 you've you've never had anything to do with medicaid and you're in in the rehab and, and now they connect them with you. How quickly can things get done to try to qualify for Medicaid? Oh, right, right, right away. You go into emergency mode. It's uh, Alex. I I view it as litigation. That there is a when you when you strip Medicaid to the to the core, it's an application and there's an eligibility worker. There are eligibility workers in every jurisdiction, and they say yes or no to the application. Period. That's it. How quick? How quickly do the state Medicaid programs respond? The, once you file, you—it's an asset. You, you, your hand is raised, and you're attracted to a facility because you're Medicaid pending. Immediately okay. Medicaid pending. Once you, if, file, as long as as long as you file while you're in the hospital. File whatever whatever you're wherever you are in that journey. You're, you're in. Right. I mean, does the state, I mean, this is what I find funny. And Alex, you might be like, what? I think the state puts Medicaid specialists in every nursing home. That's in, not in every nursing home, but the applicant in the bigger facilities, though, they're not in the, in the facilities. Maybe the very, the very, very big ones have a Medicaid worker. I haven't seen that for years, but, but workers are assigned to certain facilities. So someone a worker in dc may have two or three of the nursing homes in dc the 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 key is to 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 move toward a person saying yes to medicaid eligibility and it's anywhere in the process it's a fire drill to get the application in because it requires a lot of backup information what the nursing homes did in maryland a number of years ago is the rule is they they call it um, everybody in america knows the 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 gifting rule, okay? They, they, how many years do they look back? It's well, hold on, hold on. Before you say that, because that is the next thing that I wanted to talk about, actually, is the, the five-year look back and what does that really mean? But we do need to take a quick pause and thank our sponsor again. So again, our sponsor for this episode is Rise Virtual Medicare Marketing and Sales Summit. They're hosting a three-day live streaming virtual event for professionals in the Medicare Advantage sales, marketing, product design, and member engagement world. This awesome conference is taking place February 19th, 22nd, and 23rd in 2021. In the midst of COVID, all virtual with on-camera networking interviews, visit MedicareMarketingSalesSummit.com to learn more. Basically, if you're in the Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, or health plan space, you should attend this conference. Please use promo code POD15. That's P as in Patrick, OD15 to get 15% off. Again, Medicare Marketing Sales Summit. Thank you. Okay, now, Robert, talk to us about this five year look back. What does that mean? And what are the landmines around this? As, as simply as I can say it, it, everybody calls it a look back period. I, I once heard a lecture, and I don't believe it's in the statute, is it's a reporting requirement. So it's a, it's a five year reporting requirement. The question is, have you, gift, have you gifted anything in the five years 
above a certain level. I forget the every jurisdiction has a different amount. And and a, what is a gift? A gift is giving something that is an called an quote uncompensated transfer, unquote. And that you're asked on your application to report that. It's the very last application question on most of the applications. Okay, and what it does is it doesn't if you if you have given money away medicaid's theory is that you should have paid the nursing home so let's let's assume you know a married couple gives a hundred thousand dollars to the children the father's been diagnosed with dementia alzheimer's type the road does not look pretty and they want to shove the assets out and they gift it and it was done in contemplation of medicaid eligibility and Medicaid rules say if you did that in the last five years, you may be eligible for Medicaid because the hurdle being medical eligibility, financial eligibility, and the last piece is did you give anything away? And if you did, you're penalized. So you're eligible for Medicaid, but you have a penalty period of where you have. So let me recap. Yeah, let me recap just to no, make no, sure no, we're no, not no. missing the headlines here. So. So if you are a senior and you know like things are not looking good and you're probably going to end up in a nursing home or your family believes that of you, your hope is that you can get Medicaid to pay for it because otherwise it's going to cost maybe $100,000 a year to do that. But the only way you can get Medicaid to pay for it is if you meet the medical eligibility. So it's hard for you to kind of do your activities of daily living. And you must meet the financial eligibility, which means you must have very few assets, almost nothing left. And that's why people might want to gift things is because they're trying to make it look like they are asset poor, right? But Medi Medicaid is saying, if you do that, we're going to know, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at any transactions in the last five years. So if you're shuffling assets around just to qualify for Medicaid, you, the, uh, we're going to catch you essentially. Exactly. Right. The, the, the presumption being that that you gifted it in contemplation of Medicaid eligibility, but you have the absolute right. And that's why I told you it's litigation to overcome that presumption that, the, that it wasn't it wasn't it, it. By example, if you've been gifting your grandchildren back to the year one, five thousand dollars a year, every year, for no Medicaid contemplation and so forth and so on. And it continued right through that five-year period. Often, Medicaid will say, "No, that was a continuing gift that had nothing to do with obtaining Medicaid eligibility." So, but there there are many planning tools that can be used to convert the gift or what have you. We all legal planning tools. So I, I want to be sure. Clear. And and so I, let me add because I think it's important that, that I missed one piece with a married couple. The spouse, the, the person in the community gets a community spouse resource allowance. The, the woman, the woman or man at home, the wife or husband gets a, in every state, it's a little bit different. The feds put the height, the top and the bottom, but sh that person gets, I think it's 125, 130,000. I, I don't know the uh, precise number right now. And uh, that person gets that much from the estate. So the community spouse gets certain things, money, she gets the home, she gets a car, she gets personal property, she gets a certain type of, uh, of CDs, uh, scratch that, a certain type of uh, annuities and what have you. 90% of the planning is involving taking excess money and purchasing annuities. Annuities were a safe harbor for eligibility back when 
when when Amy's hair was a different color and and <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> she said there's no swearing in this presentation yeah. so, so so uh, uh back then and, and whatever I was talking about all the way to now basically and keep the community spouse that's the theory of Medicaid by the way the right. heart soul of Medicaid is the community spouse resource allowance Period. Now, litigation is one way to try to protect the assets that have been shifted around. Oh, but I, I, didn't, the, I, I just view the eligibility process as litigation. And, and okay. I, it's not I, literally litigation. It no, just it, seems it, like I, litigation. I okay, you, seems like What's litigation. your job? But, what's your job as the lawyer? Sure. Win. And what's but winning? The, the preferred method I've read, and please teach us, is there's certain types of trust that one can do uh, in order to protect the assets, can you talk to us about what those certain types of trusts are and when one should do look at them and do them? Well, it's a good question. The, 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 the simplest concept is that a trusts are either revocable or irrevocable. And if they're irrevocable, they're separate legal units that get a tax ID number and, and have a separate trustee and what have you. If you transfer assets into one of those trusts, and there, there are many attorneys who just specialize in those asset protection trusts and what have you, the, that is a, a transfer. So the, when you really strip the ball clean, it starts the five years running. So if I'm doing Medicaid planning for, for you, and we, we got a, a huge chunk of, of money that we want to preserve, we can put it into an irrevocable trust now, and it's going to stop that clock running for the five years. That's the concept. So, so let me let me ask you about that because that's one piece that was a little bit unclear to me. So, if if Grandma is trying to get Medicaid to cover her long term care next week, and she puts everything into a long term trust today, I mean irrevoc irrevocable trust today. It's still you still need to wait five years. Exactly. So exactly. you really should be putting your assets into an irrevocable trust at least five years before you think you might need Medicaid. Is that okay? So that is an incredible. That's an incredible piece of like take home knowledge right there. And and that goes right back to what Amy asked me at the beginning, because as if you're if you're in your seventies, which I have found. We're a downtown metropolitan firm, so I see a lot of, we get a lot of calls, and the age of challenge I have found now is 70 odd. It's, it's, it's just a dice roll right, right now with yeah. health, and uh, it's an epidemic uh, proportion, but, but the, the planning that would take place is back when I'm 70, and I would begin to change my estate, uh, my planning, and then my plan to create one of those trusts. And, uh, and start the five years running. Now, the, the, the real savvy people, and I don't mean to insult anybody who, who want to do that, do it. But people just, just generally don't like to do that. You know, there's, they got to know someone who's done it or know someone who's run the five years and so forth and so on. Because it's an irrevocable trust. You're putting the money in there. And there are all sorts of bells and whistles. But it's, it's not magical. It's the same five. It, you're not, it's not an automatic answer to your question. No. That's, that is an uncompensated transfer. I talked about that. It's to a trust. doesn't matter who it's to. And there's going to be a penalty period because it's within, inside the five years. Robert, 
if if you have a very simple financial situation, let's say you're 60, 65 years old, and your only asset is, let's say you have a couple hundred thousand dollars of equity in a primary residence, and you're listening to this podcast, and you'd like to put it into an irrevocable trust, and do whatever other sort of kind of planning and preparation you need in order to be ready for the future. Can you give us some ballpark estimate as to what are the legal fees roughly that it might cost to do this? Because I, I think a lot of people don't engage attorneys when they should because of this like hourly rate thing and they think they might be charged you know, $20,000, yeah. they can't control it. There's so much fear and anxiety about legal fees. Can you talk to that about about that a bit. It's, it's it's a very good point, and what I I ask people a lot: Have you ever worked with an attorney before? And the answer is yes or no. Most of no. And and I indicate I have been a client, and as between dental surgery being a client, I don't know which one I would select. Okay, so <laughs> I understand the plight of these people. What I have, I didn't mean to get so dramatic about it, but what every there there may be. 10 attorneys in the metropolitan area who do this with a level that I would be confident referring. And we all know each other and what have you, and everybody does it differently. So I can only speak for myself in terms of the way that I do it, okay? I, well, I'm blessed at this age not to have to accept every case anymore. And to that end, what I insist on is doing a consult because you can't be a good client in Medicaid, no matter what you tell me, because you don't know about it. And in Medicaid planning, I want a partner. So the first step, and if you're, you're not, neither of you all don't remember Davy Crockett on TV, but first understand and then be understood. So that we do it on a consult basis initially with all of the relevant parties, because the first question you ask, what are your siblings gonna say about this? Mm -hmm. And so forth, you know, I want all the players and, and we've had fist fights in the conference room. <laughs> and I will spend, what I've determined to do it is I will spend as <laughs> much time as necessary to get you to where you need to be so you understand it. Because it's overwhelming. And then double that down with the, the wife is in total crisis and the son has come in from California and the daughter's here and, and they want to get Medicaid because they want uh, Papa's money. And, and right, and they want the money. They're coming in and asking about uh, about Medicaid. So what I do is a consult, and I do not accept engagements at the consult. I do not solicit representation. If I there's a fist fight, it's like you're definitely not going to be a client. Right. <laughs> no, like like that's sort of like you kind of have like a bifurcating moment. You're like, is there going to be a fist fight? If not, no, we don't. We can't take care of you here. No, actually, yeah. Elder ones, Law Center can't really help you. Yeah, yeah those are the ones that I take. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's the, the now, and and I don't know if it's ethical to start talking fees. Every attorney says that when the stocks about what are your fees and what are your fees. Sure. So I want to be cautious, but we charge as low as we can for the consult. It's it's not a money maker. It's it, there are usually two attorneys in there, and or we call somebody else in, and and you know I try to give as good as I get. You, you, yeah. You, you've got to be educated and. Uh, and there are, it's very difficult in that stage because there are, as Amy said, and, and I'm serious, there are a lot of conflicting interests going on. Sure. And if you're in a crisis, right. you, you know, people out there know this, the daughter comes in or, or there are no estate documents. So you gotta go for guardian, right. you gotta do a guardian conservator. So we do that in the framework of a consult. And then we give them their options. My ultimate goal is to educate you so you can do it yourself. And we have some people who do that, who actually, 
who actually do it themselves. But you got to spend the time to learn, and it's a job. It's it, managing someone who's getting Medicaid is a job, and either you're going to do it or you're going to hire someone to do it. And you know, we a number of the people do it themselves when it's simple, but I wouldn't do it. I have, I have this is this is fascinating. I, I have two questions. Number one is, this seems like it's so hard, and it does seem like it's so complex. Yeah. If you are somebody who doesn't have the resources to hire a lawyer. I mean, I feel like in my house calls practice, I was taking care of a ton of people who have Medicare and Medicaid. And I'm like, I don't think this person was like running out to hire you. Like, how did all of this happen for them? Is it because they kind of came into the system because they were already in Medicaid, the other kind of Medicaid that was low income when they were 64? It, it, the, the answer is yes and no, but it helps to be on some type of Medicaid as you move through the system, because they've already have some sort of determination of, of well, if it's waiver or any Medicaid that, uh, program that requires disability, you already have that ticket. You've already been determined to be disabled. And so you have like a, and you have like a, like a Medicaid helper, social worker person who's within the system that's kind of escorting you through into the Medicare Medicaid stage. And every, it, it, it circles back to that facility. Every facility has a Medicaid uh, person. That scratch that. I can't say every facility, but most now have a individual or individuals who are responsible for. Uh, collecting the information in Maryland. Remember, Alex, you said five years. Well, to get into certain facilities, many facilities in Maryland, when you apply just to go in with your application, you have to give them five years records of all of your accounts. And oh I wonder, my gosh, five years as you go. In I already don't want to apply for Medicaid, by the way. So, I just already just sounded like so overwhelmingly like I don't know where I'm going to find all those pieces of paper. Because, because <laughs> not, remember, uh, I, I, I talked about Medicaid pending. OK. So you, to be to one of the requirements on Medicaid pending facilities for admission in Maryland is you got to give them all the stuff during the application process. Okay, so you can't be Medicaid pending till they have all the paperwork. Well, I, the answer is plus minus what jurisdiction plus or minus depending upon what jurisdiction. Yeah, all right. I mean, okay, my my second question is this, and then I'm gonna and then Alex has a question. And then you have been so amazing. We're gonna figure out if there's anything else left to ask you, which is a thousand more things, but. My second question is, you know, what I find interesting, and I think this leads into a topic we're going to be talking about with our next podcast is actually assisted living. Medicaid does not pay, even though somebody may level into something that could be totally taken care of at something that's half the price, aka an assisted living. Why haven't the states figured this out? Why do they want to keep paying these like primo costs, eight, twelve thousand dollars a month? When maybe there's an assisted living that's like five thousand because the person levels in for, you know, I mean, if they can stay at home, they can certainly be in an assisted living. They don't need like peg tubes and all these. I mean, not everybody's so super sick. They need a nursing home. I I, I don't quite understand what you're what you're asking. Why won't Medicaid pay for something that's like an assisted living as opposed to? mandating so that's a political question because and then if we if we push that button i was so curious about the approach of medicaid to everything that i went back and interviewed people who were involved in the legislation i'm going to answer your question mm. but of interest i love trotting this out is <laughs> that the medicaid bill that was passed in 1964-65 was the medicare bill 
it was Medicare because the fight was between the states and the federal government. And remember, Medicaid is that joint program. Medicare is a federally funded insurance program. It was revolutionary. At the last moment, they negotiated a Medicare deal where the federal government picked it up and they took that bill and moved it over here and made that Medicaid. It has absolutely no frame or reason as to what the situation is today. None. So in terms of assisted living, it wasn't even contemplated. There weren't assisted living units. That's okay. what I thought you were going to say, is that they made the law without having the right. modern day healthcare system or the modern day sort of like what aging looks like. And the system assisted living has, has, has been exacerbated by when I started assisted living was people selling their homes and moving in to assisted living. The, 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 the chic sunrises and what have you. Oh, the CCRCs, which basically like, oh, you know, I'll pay $250,000 oh. and it's sort of like it'll take care of me through the rest of my life or. I have a, I have a lady who paid I, last night the, the, talking to her agents. She selected her neighbors as powers of attorney. They have no idea what they're doing. They're in their seventies, and she put five hundred thousand dollars down three months ago. Went in the place, should have never gone in, and was has been. She spent six nights there since December first, and she's been in the hospital since five thousand dollars for CCRC. That's a whole. That's a topic for another. And you're coming topic. back to. We'll discuss that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 short version of the assisted living is they took the, the, the middle class, the upper middle class, sell your home, move in, whatever. And it wasn't very expensive. It was four or five, $6,000 a month back then. And what happened is that my, what happened with me is I got to get them out of the nursing home, out of the assisted living into a nursing home and getting Medicaid eligible because I can't afford it anymore. That's right. That's so, exactly right. That's the, that you just hit. Let me add, uh, let me add yeah. quickly that, that what happened is the, the assisted living uh, facilities responded to that. By, by because we have the housing price, the the, the uh, depression of whatever year it was. What year was it? <laughs> the recession of 98? Yeah, 98. I just made that up, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> by now. So they what they did is they nods, yes. the back end. They, they, they created what you now are inundated with. Everybody's going to a memory unit. What the hell? What, what the heck is a memory unit? <laughs> Okay. It's, it's, it's assisted an assisted living. It's an assisted living with another, like another label on the front door. It's an assisted living with locked doors. That's what right. it is. Or, or that's no, that's a locked. <laughs> door. Yeah, it's it, no. Uh, it's very oh good. Alex goes down from there. Six different levels of memory care. A la carte. You pick what you it's, want. It's a color code. It's a color coded assisted living. Exactly. And so, okay, Robert. I do want to touch on. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to touch on a really important topic uh, because we. All, that you answered my question. Oh, yes. Here. No, you haven't answered his. He needs to go now. <laughs> no, I, 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 I know that we're under a little bit of a time crunch. So, man, really annoying. We, we talked about the Caribbean. I'm sitting here with the peanuts. <laughs> watching the people you have, no, I am not in the Caribbean. I am in Bethesda. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, we talked about putting your assets into an irrevocable trust in order to qualify for Medicaid, but we didn't talk about Medicaid estate recovery and how the trust might help with that. Could we? Could you talk about what is Medicaid estate recovery? It, it, the, it's not my strongest suit right now. The uh, Medicaid as keeps they, they get you coming in because they make you divest assets. And, and, and pay for the nursing home. And then if there's anything left at the end that they can claim against your estate. 
it's it, it, it really yeah, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that, that there's some things that I'm not current on the estate recovery is, is a field unto itself but you when you do your planning you're you're doing that also so there will be no assets available for estate recovery and and by example one of the one of the vehicles you use regularly is a revocable trust because a revocable trust the moment you die becomes irrevocable so in in certain jurisdictions because i don't want to uh, misstate the law anywhere in certain jurisdictions it's not it's not in your probate estate so if it's not in your probate estate Medicaid cannot assert a lien against it because Medicaid asserts a lien on your any assets in your probate estate. That what they can assert on the probate estate keeps getting more expansive. Actually, I know more than I thought I did. It keeps getting more expansive state by state. And once again, the elder law attorney in the estate planning going all the way back to what Amy asked at the beginning about developing your plan, you look at making assets unavailable for estate recovery. Right. So, so let me underscore a point. If you get Medicaid to cover your long-term care costs after the age of 55, it's not actually Medicaid paying for it with a blank check. It's almost like a loan because once right. you died, right. they can come back and put a lien against your assets for the amount that they paid. The assets and that's that are in a, your estate. And that, and there's, that's, it, right. that's right. The assets that are still left in your estate. So even more reason to move your assets into a trust because otherwise Medicaid will essentially take everything that's left because long-term care is so expensive. Well, I, 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 the, the, the answer is really that's a broad base, I think more of a myth. They, they won't take everything that's left if you properly plan for it. And right. by example, if, if there's a home, there are all sorts of uh, exemptions for a home. If you have a child with a disability living there, if the spouse is living there, and there are all sorts of exceptions. And if there's a rule, it's, remember I said it's just like tax law. So show the show the the elder law by the rule, and we can do. And it is it is a mandate of Medicaid that that they encourage you to get Medicaid for a married couple. So they also in, encourage you to do the planning, and part of that planning is making assets unavailable for estate recovery. Yep. Okay. So yep. don't, don't assume they're going to take they they don't they don't take all of your assets if you're properly planning and protected in the home. I just gave you one example. By the way, on that loan point, and it's on topic on another topic, another topic. But supplemental needs trust. That is, I have a, a daughter who has a Down syndrome, and she is allowed. She gets uh, Social Security disability. Uh, scratch that. Let's say she gets uh, Medicaid, SSI you're allowed supplemental security income. And that means you, ha you have to have low income, low assets. But the point is you're allowed to take your assets and put them into a supplemental needs trust. Now this is a D4A, that's all you need to know for an, in for an individual making their own trust, their, their own money. And what it is is exactly what you said, Alex, it's a loan because a D4A, when if you get any type of Medicaid, when that person dies, Medicaid submits their bill. And says, if there's anything left in the trust, it goes to us. Yeah. Okay. okay, interesting. There is a really interesting and actually sad article in the Atlantic about this, and I'll post it in the uh, show notes because 
Clearly, one can protect one's assets if you engage an attorney such as you, Robert. But unfortunately, a lot of people either don't think about it, they don't know or think they can't afford it or simply can't afford an elder law attorney. And then they get put into a situation where their lifelong and generational assets sometimes can be can be destroyed. And it's a really sad situation. He's got a great voice, doesn't he, Amy? There is a reason that he is my co-host. It's really because he has a very like like meditative, hypnotic voice. Yeah. And you spend your whole time going, what is that accent? Is it Latvian? I'm a mutt. It is half Latvian, half Iranian. Alex, summarize what you just said again because I had a response to that, but I I digressed. Uh, My point was that Oh, I know what it was. I can interrupt. Yeah. And you said I could interrupt. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the fee situation. The, I, I believe the concept is wrong, okay, about fees, okay? This is an investment. Mm-hmm. This, and, 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 and let's talk about mom and dad or mom in the facility and, and running 15 grand a month. You do the math what that is. Yeah, year. like one month. It's like yeah. the ROI on that is uh, like, uh, uh, duh. It's, it's like a, uh, an easy one. Yeah, I, I Should never, I just is that your tagline? Uh duh. You know No, I, I, I don't do that. I, I, I cringe when I say, Well, you can pay the nursing home, you can pay me, you know. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't like that at all. But yeah, but because there's a lot more involved when you're doing the application in terms of the community spouse. So what happened what what I'm gonna stay up so this fee thing and everybody freezing, okay, is you, you've got a job to do and you, and you've got to learn how to do it. Well, you need mentorship. And, you need mentorship and you need guidance. Exactly. And this is, the, this is always, I mean, we've talked about this. We actually had an early podcast and I don't want to take up too much more time, but I do want to just drive this one point home, which is one of the successes in sort of business or starting something new is really knowing who to ask and knowing when to say, you know what, this is just like, I can't like Dr. Google this, you know, I can't like, you know, Google Esquire this one. Like, this is not going to be something I can figure out on my own. And to basically say this is part of good financial planning. Uh, good, yes. It, or, or you can still do the eligibility process in crisis. We've we've had we've been knock on wood. We've had my Medicaid people have gotten three approvals in the last two weeks on very difficult applications. Wow. But but. The key and still I, a success. You feel like it's still a success when it's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah, we got it. Like yeah, it's like still got, a moment. Like, well, so that's kind of cool. It's, it's the attention to detail that's that's yeah, that's really really critical. Actually, it's my daughter who was a Medicaid specialist, now went off to law school and had babies and so forth, and she's come back, and she's very good at this stuff. And you got to be very patient with people. You got to get a lot of records. But Alex, the on the fee thing, and, and you know, I want to make that clear is that's why I do a consult. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why I don't want your money. I want to educate you. I want you to do it yourself. At the end, we'll decide what your options are. And I, I and every attorney who does this stuff does it differently. Some do a consult and then a letter afterwards. I find that doesn't work because you get this comprehensive letter explaining you know what to do and you're clueless as to what the rules are, how to do it. So I, I pulled away from that. Others give you a, a free time, which I don't. I think is a big mistake with clients because they ha- they have to understand what they're doing. Unfortunately, they're saddled with a job, J-O-B, and that's what I tell them. This is work, and it's going to yeah. take time, and so forth. Okay, okay. so... This, this is really... Okay, first off, I just want to say thank you, because uh, we kind of are always like, oh, we're going to... 
try and wrap it up just a little bit because we want to give you a break, give our listeners a break. But I think first off, this has been amazing. I almost feel like we need to have him back on for the second podcast. So we'll just pre-plan for that. And of course, I will spontaneously call you at any moment in time, but not after 9 p.m. to set that up. But I do want to just give Alex an opportunity to do one more sponsorship. Give it a go. Yes. Again, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Rise Virtual Medicare Marketing and Sales Summit. They're hosting a three-day live streaming virtual conference for professionals in the Medicare Advantage space on um, February 19th, 22nd, and 23rd, 2021. Visit MedicareMarketingSalesSummit.com and make sure you use promo code POD15. That's P as in Patrick, POD15 to get 15% off. Again, thank you so much to Rise for sponsoring us. Yes, thank you. All right, so I I want Alex to have first dibs at maybe doing his summary, but I could also do a little summary, but I think you're so much better at it than me. Do you want to like do it this time? Uh, My my main takeaway is that if you're above the age of 50, you should probably get an elder law attorney and, and do a consultation and start figuring this stuff out. If you leave it for later, it will be tremendously more difficult and it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's right. my main takeaway. How can we find Robert? What's yes, your website? Robert, yeah, oh. two, uh, I'll share with you what I have and Robert, add if I have anything wrong here. So his main practice is at www.edlc.com and you can also find him at avvo.com. Is that right, Robert? That's precise, yes. Okay, and so are you, go ahead. your practice locations are are you just in know, DC or also? I, I I'm licensed in all three jurisdictions, so we have outposts in in Maryland and Virginia. There's been a lot less of that with COVID. Matter of fact, I've just come back from six months. I don't know. I've lost track of the time right. uh, at the office, but we're under strict lockdown uh, procedures. Matter of fact. We had two in the legal community today who were diagnosed, and one one was a lawyer who apparently went home and infected her eighty year old or his eighty year old uh, parents. Yeah, so we're Oof. locked out, but we do everything virtually, and it, and it and it's and it's working, and and uh, we have drop offs for the information what happened. But yes, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, I'm licensed in, and we 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 hit all of the uh, counties. And I, I do want to say to the audience, I I was. I was screaming at Amy a lot <laughs> to let me know. And 15 minutes before she calls me with the connection, and here I am. So I did no preparation, which I vowed I'm never going to do again. So if a little bit off on the rules, you can call me. If anyone's 452 0000, don't ask me how I got that number. But people I were- gave you ample damn notice. <laughs> Wait, what was the number again? What was, Robert, what was the number again? 202-452-0000. And if anybody's got quick questions or what have you, you know, I work long hours and I enjoy talking. And, uh, you know, what, 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 you, you, what you get, you give. And uh, I've worked a lot with the disability community because of my daughter. I deal with parents, parents especially needs children get, get either free, depending upon the situation, or, or uh, the, the most we can do if they've got a special needs child. That's it because there's also Medicaid for for those individuals, also Medicaid waiver and what have you. I, I want to add one more thing, and that is, if I could, the the what the planning has evolved into is there, there are Medicaid 
chop shops, not in this area, but uh, there were a lot in the hospitals, Amy. When, when, when we were in the hospital, I forget the name of the, you could go down and you, you could be a, a hockey puck and you'd get Medicaid eligibility. You over, <laughs> over, over resource through the wazoo and you get Medicaid eligibility. They were in every hospital. And, and what I discovered is it was impossible to understand DC hospital Medicaid. No one was able to explain how hospitals got Medicaid so quickly for people in the hospital. So another, that's the, the exploration I had to do because I was curious, intellectually curious. And, and every one of these was battling out to get information, particularly in the, in the district. So your planning is just more than Medicaid, I think, when you do your estate planning. It's called life care planning and management. And it's, it's, it's a, a need of mine is everything's got to be pulled together. And, and, and people don't do it, period. That's that's it. OK, well, they're in denial. People are often in denial about aging. Right. We yeah, I I had I hired an attorney to do mine and I made them adhere, make you adhere to strict deadlines. And Alex, part of that planning and getting the stuff together is you're doing your Medicaid evaluation at the same time. Got uh, it. Because not only do, do you need the Medicaid, but you have the wife in the house. And how and she's failing. So you got to get her out into an assisted living. You got to sell the house. You got to you got to market the house. And I, I have a unique experience because 20 years I did commercial regular work and I'm a more aggressive and litigator. So all of those skills are needed under life care planning and management. It's fascinating because it pulls together everything. Uh, wow. Two people to take it care reminds of. Reminds me to stay organized. That's what I'm that's that's my take home message. Amy, stay more organized. So I just want to thank everybody who's been listening for our second episode of 2021. This is Robert Bullock from the Elder Law Center. And I am Dr. Amy Schiffman with my co-host, Alex Moseni. And you can find us on the web at masteringmedicare.net. That is masteringmedicare.net. Alex, anything else? No, that's it. Robert, this has been absolutely amazing. I really amazing. appreciate you taking this the time to talk with us. This has been an amazing podcast. And I think our listeners are going to have a bunch of questions and we can probably do a follow-up episode sometime soon. Amazing. Yeah, Thank well, you, Robert. I, I hope what you're saying is... Is some is some vision of reality that makes science. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> right. And I'll, I'll deny everything I said on this thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you'll be like, right. can you no, edit no. like uh, the forty seventh minute? <laughs> you have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. 